You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. It's good to see you here today. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to John 17. Uh, we, we are in a series uh, going through the Gospel of John, and so if you're new, uh, we just uh, studied the first part of chapter 18 last week where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, today we're going to pick up where he is arrested, tried, and uh, where Peter denies him. I'm excited about this, and, and as you're turning in your Bibles, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, first off, I do want to just say Friday night, the night of worship was incredible, and um, our media team and our band has done a phenomenal job over the last two weeks. They have given so much time. Would you just thank them, and <clears throat> when you see them, encourage them, because they are, they're, they're doing extremely well. They're doing awesome. So thankful for them, and um, the other big news is that this past, last Sunday night, our elder team met and voted to buy the land and build an auditorium, and to do that this spring, so we are excited about that as well. So we're... We're moving forward, and uh, I want to encourage you guys to continue to invest, continue to pursue what God is, is calling you to do together. We're going to do something incredible here in this city. This is, a, this is the biggest thing we have done, so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. And, and I plan to update you um, through my, my blog, so uh, if you haven't seen my blog, uh, we just started it a couple weeks ago, and so uh, I put some, uh, an article up there about getting ready for Easter, so I encourage you guys to go check that out, trentonstewart.com, and uh, just some updates along the way, uh, you'll be able to see those there um, as we move forward. So hard to believe that Easter is only three weeks away, but uh, we're excited. You guys should have received a, in your chair an invite card. Please use those. Uh, we'll talk more about that today. But uh, man, just a lot of exciting things taking place, and uh, we're excited about what God is doing here. And so as we look at John 18, uh, we are quick, uh, oftentimes I am, I'm quick to look at how Peter denies Jesus here in this scene, and I'm quick to really kind of get on him and judge him and criticize him for what he's done, and, and um, you know, I, I think there, there are many reasons why Peter would have denied knowing Jesus uh, through this event, but I, I think one of the key things that he struggled with was pride, and you know, pride is one of those things in our life that's really, really difficult to see in the mirror. Uh, it's easy for us to spot in other people, uh, you know, arrogance or prideful hearts, but it's really difficult for us to see that in ourselves. And so, so as we look at the life of Peter today, as we look at this trial, uh, I want to really challenge you to begin to dive into your own heart, into your own uh, reality, and, and, and really ask the Lord if there is pride in your life today, because we want to deal with that. I mean, I know it's something that, that I deal with on a regular basis. In fact, this past summer, uh, my wife and I went to um, out west, and uh, we, we, we were celebrating our anniversary 15 years, and uh, we decided one day we were out on, uh, at Malibu Beach that, that I wanted to surf. And so I had always wanted to try to surf. I had always wanted to do this, and so this was my day to do it. And we were at Malibu Beach. It was epic day. And how many of you guys have ever surfed? Anybody? couple of people. All right. So it, 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 to me, it was just really, really exciting. I was so pumped. And I went out there and man, I was a natural. It was incredible how easy I picked it up and I just absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. And so, so part of what made it fun is that the surfboard that I was on was about as big as the stage, <laughs> which meant it was easier to stand on. And, and, and so I posted pictures on Instagram that day, and I'm like, hey, look at me, I'm surfing in Malibu, it was so awesome. But what you couldn't see in the pictures, how big the surfboard was, and my instructor who was in the water holding the board. <laughs> so, so that made it a lot easier for me, and, and he would push the board, and so it, it was epic. And so I thought, you know, I got the hang of it. I thought after that day, 
you know, he wasn't helping that much. Like, he wasn't really that big of a help, and the board wasn't that big of a help. So the next day, I loved it so much, I told Mike, I said, I've got to get back in the ocean. I want to try it again. And, and this time, I'm not going to do the big beginner board. I'm going to do, like, the legit board that everybody uses. So, so I think I can handle this. And so I get the cool board. I, I, we, we hit the ocean. Now, the ocean this day was much bigger. Like, the waves were much bigger currents were much stronger. They had a different color flag, you know, up there to, to kind of tell you that. And so I was like, ah, I got this, you know, no big deal. And so I go out in the water and, and it literally takes me about an hour to just like get out past the waves. <laughs> if you've ever done that, you know how incredibly difficult that is if you don't know all the tricks. And I certainly didn't know the tricks and I was getting pummeled by wave after wave and I couldn't even get out there to even try it. So I finally get out there and spend another two hours just resting because I was gassed, you know, and, and I finally get the board turned around. And I'm, I'm, I'm faced in the right direction. I'm waiting for the perfect wave, right? You've, always, you've heard of the perfect wave. Well, for me, any wave was the perfect wave. I, didn't, I don't know the difference. And so I'm catching whatever one I can catch. And so I see one, and I'm, I'm diving in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paddling. And right when I hit the board and I stand up on it, the wave crashes on me. And this wave pummeled me almost to death. Like it threw me into the water. I hit my head on the bottom of the ocean. Like, like luckily there was not a rock there. It spun me around. I don't know how many times. I drank about a gallon of water. Like 20 gallons went up my nose. I felt like a massive neti pot just exploded in my head. And, and, and you know, when I finally had the strength to finally get my head up out of the water, I, you know, I burst through the water and <gasps> gasped for wa- a, a, a breath right when the next wave was right there to boom, do it all over again. And here I was going, I'm thinking, I'm going to die right here in this ocean. I'm going to die. So I finally come to and fight all the waves and get to the shallow water and I stand up. I have no idea where my board is at. And at this point, I don't care. I'm lucky to be alive. So I go back to my wife who's watching the whole thing from the beach. And she was nice and kind and she didn't say anything other than what she just kind of looked at me and smirked and said, well, that went well. (laughs) And she said, where's your wedding ring at? And I was like, are you kidding me? It was so like crazy out there that it thrown my wedding ring off into the ocean. And so I don't know where it's at to this day, but man, that was a humbling experience. And I don't know if it was the fact that, you know, my, my pride, you know, sent me out there in the water that day or just like a positive can-do attitude. I don't know the difference sometimes between the two. All I know is, you know, I, I got killed out there and it was very humbling. And, and one of the things about uh, our pride and our ego is that it is hard to detect. It's hard for us to see it in our own life. And, and it takes different events in our life for, for God to really point us in the right direction, for God to really uncover and to reveal in our life where that ego is getting in the way. And, and the reality is our pride, our ego causes us to make some really dumb decisions, doesn't it? I mean, it causes us to, to, to flat out make some, some sinful decisions. It leads us down very dark paths. And, and I think we're going to see in our scripture today how Peter struggled with that. And um, not only that, but we're going to see the life of Jesus in a fresh way through this trial uh, today. So let's pick up in verse 12 of John 18, where it says this. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So Caiaphas has already made this statement that we need to kill Jesus. 
He had, he, he had caused such turmoil. He was, he, there was so much upheaval because of Jesus. He, he said, you know what? I, I know how we can get rid of all this stuff going on. Let's just kill the leader. Let's kill Jesus. And so he had, he had already mentioned that. And, and um, so they, they, they bind Jesus, they arrest him, and they take him to a man by the name of Annas. Now, who is this guy and why is he important? Well, Annas was, was the high priest before Caiaphas. But for the Jewish people, they didn't recognize the Roman government's decision to get rid of Annas and to put Caiaphas in place. They recognized Annas as, as the one uh, high priest. And so they followed protocol here by taking him to Annas. He's the, he's the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And so they get to this point, and, and it says in verse 15 that Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now the other disciple is John. This is how he's referring to himself in the story. So it says this, since that disciple, since John was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So what happened was, John had some kind of relationship with the high priest, and because of that relationship, he was able to get uh, Peter in the door, give him some access to what was taking place. And so in the courtyard, Peter is hanging out with the servants and some of the guards, and then Jesus enters there with, with Annas, and then eventually they're going to go into a larger room, and it's in that larger room that Peter and Jesus are going to be able to see each other in just a moment. We're going to see that. And so it's, it's very interesting at this point that he's called, he calls himself another disciple, and, and, and he kind of references himself later as, as we've seen him say that the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and, and uh, John writes in this way. And, and this, is a, this gospel is more of a, of a story. You know, it, it flows so well. So it's like this scene is, is Peter and, and, and the arrest, and, and then we're going to jump to the trial, and then it jumps back. To Peter, and so uh, let me remind you uh, where where we're at in this story, because in Matthew 26 we see a little bit more detail that the Gospel of John doesn't explain to us. So if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Matthew 26, and beginning in verse 30, this is this is Jesus talking to the disciples as they are going to the Mount of Olives. Remember, they cross over the Kidron Valley, they go to the Mount of Olives into the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus says this in verse 31. He says, you will all fall away because of me this night. He's not just saying this to Peter. He's saying this to all of the disciples. He says, you will all fall away from me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So envision this. They're walking to the garden and and Jesus says, all of you guys are going to fall away from me. And Peter responds to him. He answers him. Though they fall away because of you, I will never fall away. All right, uncovering a little pride and arrogance in Peter's life right now. You might say, dude, is, he, he's confident. You might say, you know, he's got it together. He, he, you know, he's kind of, you know, the fighter in the group. But you could also see, knowing what we know about him, that his arrogance is coming to the table. It's like all these guys might, Jesus, bro, but I'm not. And Jesus says, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. That just means before the morning comes, you know, the rooster's going to crow and, 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 and tell everybody it's morning. And before that happens, you're going to deny me three times. Now, when Jesus tells you that you're going to do something, you might think that, that Peter would say, really? Oh, man, I suck as a person. Do, am I really going to do that, Jesus? He still doesn't get it. Why? Pride is hard to see in ourselves. 
Verse 35, Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So that's important as well. Like all the disciples are saying the same thing at this point. It's not just Peter. We don't want to pick on him this morning. We want to realize that all of the disciples are telling Jesus, we're not going to deny you. We're not going to fall away. No matter what happens, Jesus, we are with you. Their pride had gotten in the way at this point. And so when we look at verse 17, we see the first denial. Hop back down there. He says, it says this. Peter's gotten through the gate. He's, he's in the courtyard now. And it says, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was standing uh, with them, warming himself. And so you got to remember, Jerusalem is not just a desert that's hot all the time. It's got um, uh, you know, cold seasons. It's got rainy seasons. It's got hot seasons. As a kid, I always thought it was kind of hot and just a desert all the time. That's not the case. Uh, it does snow there. Snow definitely falls on the mountains. And so it's cold. It's at night. They are warming themselves at this point. Um, and so in 19 to 24, we see the first part of this trial. They're at uh, Annas' house. And it says this, The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So what's happening here is a very... Um, illegal trial. And Jesus is uncovering why this is illegal. As, as the Jewish tradition and the Jewish laws teach, you were not allowed to have a trial at night. And here Jesus is being tried at night. It's obvious. Remember when Jesus was arrested, they had torches, they had lanterns. Why? Because it was dark. It was at night. That was illegal. Also, another reason why it was illegal is that they brought witnesses in and they, the witnesses did not agree and did not have and share the same story. So according to their law, you had to have two or three witnesses to bring a charge against somebody. And those two or three witnesses had to have the same story corroborating the same crime. Well, when you read the other gospels, you see a little bit more detail about this trial and, and you see that they brought several witnesses in, but none of them agreed on on the problem. They never agreed on why Jesus should be convicted. So again, an illegal trial. The nature of the accusations change as well. We see here in this first portion that Jesus is charged with the crime of blasphemy. We're going to read more about it next Sunday. But later on, when he stands before Pilate and the Roman government, he is not charged for blasphemy. He's charged for treason. Now, why would they change the accusation? Well, obviously, treason uh, was punishable by death. And so the ultimate goal for the Jews is that Jesus would be killed because of this. And so they even changed the crime through the course of this illegal trial. Also, and I'll just mention this as well, the court wasn't immediately to pass judgment upon 
the criminal that day. They usually waited two or three days in order to gather all the facts and make their decision. But here you're going to see in the course of just a few hours, they try and convict Jesus. And then they, they institute that punishment uh, before lunchtime. So this was a highly criminal uh, trial. They didn't follow any of the laws. And so the more and more you find out and read about this trial and the experience of Jesus, the more and more you see how unfair it is and how illegal it is. The people that are charging him with the crime become guiltier and guiltier. Now, let me make a point here that oftentimes in our life, when we see something that is unjust, when we see something that seems unfair in our life, we're very quick to assume that God is not in control. We're very quick to assume that You know, because this isn't fair, God must not be, you know, in control. God must not be here. God doesn't love us. We jump to so many conclusions. And so I want to make the point that even in this injustice, we see the will in the hand of God. When you experience trials that, that, that seem unfair to you, when you experience things in life that are unjust, let us remember that God is not causing evil to happen to us. We live in a sinful world where sinful people do sinful things, and as a result, we suffer. Because of the curse of sin, evil and sin exist. Suffering is a result. But we see here in the example of the trial of Jesus, not a Jesus that is crying about, this is unjust, this is unfair. He's actually embracing the trial and the unjustness, and I love how he responds Jesus responds to to really point at the error in this trial. He says, hey, look, I've not been teaching in secret. I've not been teaching privately. I've been teaching in the public. I've been in the synagogues. I've been in the temple courts. Everybody here knows that I've been doing this in public. I've not been trying to hide this. He says, go get them. Go get the people I've been teaching to. Bring them in here to make a charge against me. And then um, one one of the officials there, one of the Roman guards or one of the Sanhedrin guards, we don't know exactly who, punches Jesus and, and says, how dare you speak to this uh, high priest like this? And, and the reason is because the high priest just got Jesus juked right there. Like he just got him. Why? Because the law, again, required testimony from witnesses to come in about the, about the crime. You don't sit there and ask the guy questions. You bring in witnesses against him. If there are no witnesses, then there is no trial. So Jesus is kind of digging and saying, you're, you're doing this the wrong way. He gets punched for it. And Jesus, again, makes the, the statement. He says, look, if, I've, if, if I'm wrong in saying this, then tell me how I am wrong. And nobody responds. They just send him on to Caiaphas. It's very interesting. Um, now let's jump back to the next section, verse 25. Verse 25, it says, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also, also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it. And he said, I am not. Verse 26, One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Now, this is interesting because remember last week we saw Peter, he pulls out a sword, he cuts the dude's uh, uh, ear off, and Jesus heals it. And and now, like, I don't know, maybe his cousin is here in in this area, and he's like, oh, hold up, I know you. You, you heard my cousin, you know, you know, I, I know, aren't you the guy that, 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 that cut off my cousin's ear or whatever? And Peter emphatically denies it. He says, Peter, it says in verse 27, Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed, fulfilling the prophecy. Now, in the gospel of Luke, it's at this moment where it says that Jesus turned and looked and saw Peter 
and they made eye contact right at this moment. Flip over in your Bible to Matthew 26 again, because I want to read Matthew's description of this betrayal. In Matthew 26, beginning in verse 69, it says, it, it affirms that Peter is sitting outside in the courtyard. So in the courtyard, there's some kind of view into this larger room where the, the Sanhedrin 73 men would have been questioning and trying Jesus. And it says a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. So listen, these are not religious officials. This is not a Roman official or government or the police. These are lowly servant girls. And Jesus, I mean, and, and, and Peter doesn't have the boldness to even, even claim that he knows who Jesus is to this lowly servant girl for a second time. And she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth, and again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, I don't know if you can imagine how bitterly he wept. I don't know that I can. But in, you go back and read the Gospel of Luke. We don't have time to look at each story. But when Jesus turns around after the rooster crows and he makes eye contact with Peter, can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine just the, the, the turmoil that Peter would have experienced in that moment? The realization that just a few hours ago, Jesus told me that I would deny him. And I, I, I emphatically said, I will never deny you. And, and, and he was bold, and he, his, his pride welled up inside of him. And he said, I'll die with you, Jesus, before I deny you. And now he realizes that he had just done it. And he makes eye contact with Jesus, and the heart of Jesus is broken. And you can only imagine the disappointment and the heartbreak of Peter right in that moment. It was so devastating. He gets up, and he leaves. You see, pride makes us do things that we wouldn't normally do. Our ego gets in the way and it causes us to make decisions that lead to all kinds of pain in our life. And, and this is that moment for Peter. Jesus has questioned about his theology, but he turns the tables on the, 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 the religious leaders. We see Peter here experiencing a tremendous amount of guilt. We see him experiencing this and, and, and as a result, he leaves, he is broken. It's also interesting in verse 76 that Peter's accent gave him away. Um, Peter being from Galilee, you know, kind of the countryside area, his accent uh, would have been a little bit different than the people in the city of Jerusalem. And so um, we can relate to that, East Tennessee, can't we? Uh, how many of you would say that you have somewhat of a country accent? You can kind of admit that today and the rest of you are prideful and won't admit it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, living in East Tennessee, we all kind of have this accent. Now, me kind of being raised in, in, in Cincinnati a little bit, mine may not be as thick, but, but uh, I, was in, I was renting a car out west one time and uh, struck up a conversation with this lady in line, and, 
and uh, I was there for a conference, and so I was, yeah, I'm a pastor, I'm here for a conference, you know, blah, 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 and, and she was like, now, you're not from around here, where are you from? And I was like, really? Like, is it that bad? And I was like, where do you think I'm from? And she's like, well, you're probably from the South, aren't you? And I'm like, God. See, it even, it even you know, is, it just kind of sticks. And so, you know, you know you're, you're from East Tennessee when, when you say ain't. I mean, we confess that you say the word ain't. Yeah, and that's part of your vocabulary. Now, you know you're from the backwoods of Blunt County if you say Ewins. I mean, if you say Ewins. You know, nobody's admitting that one now. Okay, one guy. I appreciate your honesty today. And we, we probably shouldn't say that anymore. Um, and... Yeah, you know you're from the backwoods of East Tennessee when you've been married three times and your in-laws haven't changed. And so you know <laughs> that's part of it as well. And so, so Peter, was, Peter was obviously, you know, had, had a little bit of an accent. And, and because of that, they recognized him. But his pride would not let him um, uh, uh, go there. So let me close today with giving us, you know, some, some helpful lessons from the life of Peter here. Why in the world would Peter... Uh, be able to do this or let himself do this. Now, again, John's gospel doesn't include all the little details that some of the other gospels do. And, and if you'll read in, in, for instance, in the book of Matthew, just a few days before Jesus comes into to Jerusalem and, and, and all of these events begin to happen, um, there's a story that we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John go up a mountain with Jesus. They're on top of this mountain and the glory of the Lord comes upon them. And, and Jesus' face was transfigured, and the glory of God was just all around him. And his face was bright, and it glowed, and, and they saw uh, uh, Moses and Elijah were there. And Peter says, man, it is good that we are here, understatement of the year. And he says, I'll build three tents. I don't know why, but I guess he thought that was a good idea. And right when he says that, God speaks. And God says, this is my son. Believe him. And, and, and what a powerful mountaintop experience that would have been. They come down the mountain. A few days later, they go to Jerusalem and all the events unfold, what we talked about last week and what we're talking about right now. So this isn't like 10 years ago. Remember when the glory of the Lord and God spoke and you saw Moses and Elijah? No, this was a few days ago. And so remember the context of this. This is a few days ago, and yet Peter still denies Jesus. He still doesn't have the courage. What happened to him? Even a few hours ago, he's in the garden pulling out a sword ready to fight. I mean, this is bold warrior Peter, right? And a few hours later, to a slowly little servant girl, he can't admit that he just knows Jesus. What has taken place? Well, ultimately, I think it's pride. But I want to mention two other things before I close with that. The first thing that I think happens to Peter is that doubt filled his mind. He allowed doubt to fill his mind. And so this is, you know, important for us to recognize because sometimes we allow doubt to fill our minds as well. You see, what he thought should happen and what God wanted to happen were two different things. And when what we think should happen is not happening and what God wants to happen is happening, we can allow doubt to, to creep in very, very quickly. Wait a minute, God. I'm supposed to, like, have everything work out now that I'm serving you. God, I'm not supposed to have questions like this. I love you. You know I go to church every week. And, 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 and if we're not careful, that doubt will, will flood our minds. And, and, and that doubt will creep in. And he had doubts as well because God's plan and his plan were different. There's a story in the Bible as well in Matthew 14 where Peter 
uh, sees Jesus walking on the water and he says, he says, Jesus, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come on. And so he, he gets out of the boat and he starts walking on water. Remember that story? And uh, it's an incredible uh, experience for him, I'm sure. And then he, the Bible says that he looked at the wind and the waves and, 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 and fear crept in. He was afraid. And he began to sink when that fear crept in. And when that fear crept in, he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches down and saves him. And then in Matthew 14, 31, Jesus says, you a little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You see, it's when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus that he, he then looked at the, the, the waves. He, he allowed fear to creep into his life and he began to doubt what he was doing. He began to doubt God. He began to doubt Jesus and his power. And, and the same is true for you and I. When we begin to doubt God's power in our life, then we allow fear to creep in. And then we allow fear to dictate our decisions. And we can't allow that to happen. We can't allow our doubt to creep into our mind because when it does, number two, fear drives our decisions. And I believe this is what was part of Peter's problem at this point. He allowed fear to drive his decisions. Over and over again, I'm blown away by how often I let my fears dictate my decisions. And I make those decisions, I, I realize later it was a mistake, and I think, why did I do that? And oftentimes it was because I was afraid of something happening. I was afraid, you know, maybe this would happen, or that would happen, or maybe this should happen, but who knows it's going to happen. So the fear of the unknown creeps in, and we allow ourselves to make very important decisions based on what we're afraid of. Here are three fears that I think we struggle with today. Some of you are struggling with the fear of losing what you have. You have the fear that you are going to lose something that you have. And so you don't trust God. You're not trusting and walking with him in obedience. You're not trusting him to be involved in a ministry or connect in a small group or get involved in the life of this church because you're afraid of what you're going to lose. You're afraid that you might lose some of your hobbies. You're afraid that you might lose, you know, some of your, your privacy. You're, you're afraid of whatever that you're going to lose. You're afraid to give to God's church financially because, well, if I give, then I'll lose that money for the fun stuff that I want to use it on. And so we allow that fear to control us, the fear that we might lose something. I find it strange to believe that or to hear people believe that that if they trust God, if they follow God, that, that then he's going to make them miserable in some area or some way. You know, that's not what the Bible teaches us. Follow Jesus, and then he'll make you, you miserable, and you won't have any fun anymore. Come, anybody want to sign up for that? That's, that's not what Christianity is, but, but we're fooled by that lie from the enemy. That if I commit my life to Jesus, then he's going to take all the fun away from, from my life. And that's, that's not true at all. What we have to do is we have to realize that we don't own anything. When I realize that I don't own anything in my bank account, it all belongs to God, then I don't fear losing it. When I realize that my own children don't belong to me, that they belong to God, then, then I begin to overcome the fear of losing them. You see, we don't own anything in this life. It all belongs to God, and we're called to be stewards of, of everything that he's given to us, the health that he's given to us the job that he's given to us, our, our, our health, our physical ability, all of that is given to us by God. And so I don't want to walk around fearful that I'm going to lose that because I can't control that in the first place. That's all in God's hands. So we've got to overcome that fear. 
The second fear that I think controls us is, is fear of not getting what you want. This kind of goes back to the happiness thing. We're afraid that if we follow God, that we're not going to get what we want. The problem with that mentality is you don't know what you want. I mean, just look to your children. Your toddlers, they don't know what they want. One minute they want that toy, the next minute they want that toy. They want to eat this. No, they don't. They want to eat that. You can't make them happy, can you? Some of the men in the room feel the same way about their wives. Like, you don't know what they want. And, and the reality is, we don't know what we want because we are fickle uh, beings. And every time we get what we think we want, we get over it. You want to get a scholarship for college, and you got it. And now it's like, whatever. You wanted to make the team, and you did. Now what? Next thing to complain about. You wanted to date that person or marry that person, and guess what? You did, and now it's like, gosh, I can't stand them. No, just kidding. You see, we're never satisfied because nothing on earth satisfies. Only Jesus does. And so if we're not pressing into him, then we are definitely not going to experience joy in anything that we do. So to overcome the fear of not getting what you want, you've got to realize that you don't know what you want. And so therefore, I'm going to step back and trust God, that he's going to give me not only what I want, but what I need. And so I'm going to trust him to do that in me and through me and not, not feel like I have to manufacture all these things around me to make me happy because I can't. Only he can. The third fear that I think we deal, deal with is the fear of being found out. This is the scariest and the darkest fear that the enemy will tell you. The fear of being found out. So some of you don't want to connect to the church. Some of you don't want to connect to God. Some of you don't want to connect relationally here because you're afraid somebody is going to find out about you. Somebody's going to find out that your marriage really is in turmoil. Somebody's going to find out what you did in your past life or somebody's going to find out what you did last week. And if they find out what I did or who I really am, then they won't accept me. They won't love me. They won't want me to be here. Folks, that is a lie from the enemy. You see, Jesus makes you a new creation, Corinthians tells us. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. What that means is God is not like polishing you off and taking a rag and cleaning you up. It means that you are a new created person. God created a brand new person. The old is gone. That's why the Bible calls it a rebirth. You're brand new. Everything about you is brand new. What you did yesterday has been renewed. Jesus forgives us of our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. Behold, all things are new. And so we've got to live in that power. If you are still feeling guilty for crimes or sins that you have committed yesterday or last week, the reality is God has already forgiven you for that. The enemy is the one that continues to wage war in your mind over that situation. The reality is we're all sinners and we walk into this place, you know, in need of a savior. I view Foothills Church like a hospital, you know. We're all, we're all wounded in many ways, emotionally, physically, spiritually. We've all been wounded and we come here in need of a doctor, in need of restoration, in need of healing. And so absolutely, um, we, we need this place to be restored. 
And, and it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've come. It doesn't matter how, how much you've wrecked your life. This is a safe place for you. This is a place where it's okay to be a sinner. And you don't have to pretend like everything is okay. And so the scripture calls us to bring things into the light. Why? Because the enemy wants us to keep everything in the darkness. Because in the darkness, that's where we isolate ourselves. That's where, where we beat ourselves up. That's where he, you know, you know kidney punches us and, and, and berates us mentally over our sin. But Jesus says, bring it to the light. In other words, c- confess your sins to him. And, and, and sometimes we need to confess those sins to people and say, here's where I've messed up. You see, the reality is, you know, this is part of what Peter's struggling with here. And, and, and what I love about this story, I don't know um, if you've thought about this, but, but Peter had to tell John about what happened. You ever thought about that? There had to be a moment in Peter's life, maybe it was after the resurrection, maybe it was after Pentecost, who knows when it was, but they were sitting back, you know, by the fire drinking coffee, I imagine, or whatever, and just reminiscing on, on their life, and, and Peter was like, bro, you remember that night Jesus was arrested? I got to confess something to you. Remember he said I was going to deny him? John looking at him, no, you didn't. You didn't do it, did you? I did, man. I denied him three times to these people I didn't even know. I cared more about what they thought than what God thought. I denied him, and right when I did, the rooster crowed, and he looked at me, and man, it was a terrible experience. He had, to, he had to share that with somebody. He had to share that with John. And so the reality is, you're, you need people in your life. I, my dad's generation, I, I think their mentality was only crazy people go to counseling. You know, that's kind of what, what I feel like their mentality was. But the reality is, Everybody in this room needs counseling at some point or another. Would you just accept that? Like, I need it, you need it, we need, you know, people speaking into our lives to help us deal with our past, to help us deal with our present. And the only people in the room that don't think they need that are prideful people. And that's exactly the final thing that I want to bring out today that Peter struggled with. You see, pride controlled his response. Pride controlled his response. And, and pride is really the breeding ground. It's the foundation for uh, doubt and for fear to grow in your life. And if you are a prideful person, you're somebody that, that doesn't recognize that you can mess up. In Matthew chapter 26, remember, Peter says, I'm never going to deny you. I'll die with you. You see, I think the greatest weakness in Peter's life is the same weakness some of us have. And that weakness is that we have an inability to recognize our weaknesses. And that's pride. Think about it like this. If if, if you would think about the last argument you had with your spouse, was there somebody in that disagreement that would not admit that they were wrong? And they just denied, 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 and defended, 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 you know? And if you think about it, Some of you just have that habit of defending yourself and never pausing and recognizing that you might have played a part in this, um, in in the problem here. You see, the reality is, as married couples, we experience that. And if you're the person that never makes a mistake, if you're the person that never did anything and it's all the other person, then you deal with pride. Your ego needs to be crushed. And just like Peter, 
you allow your pride to dictate your responses. Maybe you're the guy that is just not coachable. You know, we all have people like that we've seen on sports teams, the guy that, you know, doesn't need anybody to speak into their life. They don't, they don't need any advice because they've got it figured out. They've, they've got everything under control. And that's just not the case. You need somebody speaking into your life. You need somebody who can encourage you and challenge you. You need somebody that can coach you at, at different seasons of your life. Here's the bottom line, and they'll put it on the screen. Pride promises bigger and better, but delivers smaller and sadder. Every single time, your pride is going to say, if I do it my way, it'll be bigger and it'll be better. But every single time, your way will produce smaller results and a sadder life. Bar none, every single time. So my hope today is for us to see where Peter messed up and realize that we too mess up just like Peter. When I was in Israel, I sat in the, in the place where they believed this event took place. It was Caiaphas' house. And, and just recently they uncovered um, Annas' house. And so it was really cool to kind of see the remnants and, and, and see the stone and how it was laid out a little bit. Now, you got to remember, AD 70, everything was burned to the ground. It was all destroyed. So, so it was just rocks and just kind of uh, the foundation. And they can kind of build it on paper from there. But, but it's just, it was just, just completely mind-blowing to see the steps that were in between Annas' house and Caiaphas' house. Because you knew that most likely, if this was the place, these are the exact steps that Jesus would have begun to cross here in John chapter 18. He would have walked right up those steps bound. And as he walked up those steps and went into that next room, you could see where most likely Peter could have stood and where this room would have been and how devastating that blow would have been when Jesus turned and looked at Peter right in the eyes. You see, the reality is some of you just are dealing with pride. You're dealing with fear. You're dealing with doubt. And you're, you're, you're allowing that fear, that doubt, and that pride to hold you back from experiencing the man and the woman that God wants you to be today. And so as we close, I've asked the band to come and sing a song over us that, that really encourages us that sin in our life is great. Sin in our life is powerful. But Jesus is greater. Your past has, has, has made you partly who you are today. There are a lot of scars there's a lot of pain, and there's a lot, a lot of bad stuff with that. But you know what? Jesus is greater. Amen. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're experiencing today, as bad as it's been, as, as sorrowful as it has been for you, you know what the reality is? Jesus is greater. And he's, he's, he's for you. He's not against you. And even though Peter denied Jesus, his story wasn't over. We're going to see in a few weeks uh, how Jesus restores Peter. And then, you know what he does? <laughs> Spoiler alert. He gives Peter the keys to the whole church. He says, bro, you're going to be the leader of the whole deal. He takes a man who denied him three times, turned his back on him, and he makes him into this incredible godly leader. You see, some of you think that your mistake has ruined you. But in the eyes of Jesus, it's making you. Would you bow your heads? I wonder in this room today if somebody would be so bold as to admit 
that they are dealing with pride. And today God has revealed to them that pride is getting in the way of their walk with the Lord. Pride is potentially playing a big part in why your your marriage is on the rocks or your marriage is experiencing some turmoil because you don't think you've made any mistakes and and all you want to do is point the finger and I just wonder is there anybody in the room that would say some relationships in my life are on the rocks because of my pride and today I just want to admit that before the Lord and slip up your hand and just, just show the Lord anybody at all I see you all over just slip them up and put them down. I'm going to pray for you guys. As an act of just confession, would anybody else say, you know, there's the pride in my life is holding me back from doing what, what I believe God is wanting me to do in this church. Anybody say, that's me today. I'm dealing with that. I'm struggling. I see you guys. All over. You see, the reality is we're all dealing with this on some level. But Jesus is greater. Do not allow your past to hold you back from accomplishing the scripture calls us to press forward to press forward and 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 accomplish the prize the goal which is that uh that thing called jesus christ and so we pursue him god you hear us you see the hands you know the hearts and god we want to ask that you would you would give us the grace and the courage to respond to you today the grace and the courage to admit when we're wrong, to admit when we need help. Lord, we pray that you would kill our pride, that you would would shake our ego, you would press us in such a way, Lord, that that we we would see you in a clear way, that, God, we we would be able to get everything that we need to get so that we can be the person that you want us to be. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us through this song, continue to lead us to the cross, to lead us to a deeper walk with you as we hear and as we respond. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.